This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. It's the best of your sports talk dial for Wednesday, January the 9th. DA with you and the NFL coaching carousel turns. But we're finally starting to see some of the chairs in musical chairs have people sit down in them, including in Phoenix, where the Arizona Cardinals decide to hire Cliff Kingsbury. This is interesting because Kingsbury was fired at Texas Tech as their head coach after a sub-500 career overall and being 16 games under 500 in the Big 12. So, what factored into the Cardinals deciding that a losing college football coach with no NFL coaching experience was the right man for their job? The guys on In the Loop on Houston Sports Radio 610 weighed in. Let's listen in. If Cliff Kingsbury looked like Bill O'Brien, he's not getting that job. If he looked like Mark Mangino, he probably never even got the Texas Tech job. Cliff Kingsbury is a good-looking guy, and because he's a good-looking guy and because everybody's trying to copy this Sean McVay thing, he got the gig. How do you think I've been here so long? I mean, no. Um, you're svelte <laughs> over there. No, you're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. If he was Mark Mangino, uh, looked like him anyway, Ugh. he would be an assistant coach at HBU. Uh, or, or something. <laughs> you got to pick on HBU. Hey, they're trying. Yeah, uh, they're, they're they're working their way up. Uh, no, you're right, and I don't get it. Where is he qualified? How did he? What were the circumstances uh, by which he left his last job? He got fired. Got fired. Oh, from Texas he Tech. was fired from a, a above average Big Twelve program. Well, technically, define his last job because he was slated to be the USC offensive coordinator. Oh, that's true too. <laughs> on December fifth, he's like, eh. You know, he's like, well, I've got this, you know, this whole NFL head coaching thing over Mm -hmm. here. And this is another thing, and I'm not trying to make this an NCAA generic discussion, but there's a lot of kids who on early signing period, I want to say 20 kids committed to play for Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator. Can we let those kids out of their scholarships or or, or their commitments and maybe let them retest the waters too? Mm -hmm. No, no, you're you're absolutely uh, preaching to the choir there. Uh, but he's got the, the the trifecta working for him, uh, Kingsbury. He's got he's got white privilege. He's got fight. I don't is. care. I don't care. You, you just keep ringing that bell, man. He's got white privilege. He's got financial privilege, and he's got handsome privilege. <laughs> he's got it all, man. I do think there's some, and and that's not just limited to head coaching or the sports realm. That looks thing, whether people want to admit this dirty little not-so-secret or not, yeah. that's true in every walk of life, mm-hmm. even if it's not a job that's as visible as coaching in the college or NFL ranks. Right. If you – think about an interview situation. If you go in there – it's not even about what like what you're wearing. You could be dressed to the nine in a suits and weigh 300 pounds, mm-hmm. 
dressed in the nines in a suit and wear in, in weigh 150 or whatever. If you look generally like a slob, mm-hmm. you're not going to be looked at the same way as you would be if you look like Cliff Kingsbury, for example. Exactly. And it's just that's just facts. So you know, I, I get I get it from that standpoint. Now, contrarians are going to say, well, look at his look at his resume. Look at the quarterbacks that he has worked with, and there are a lot of them that are. Patrick Mahomes is obviously at the top of that list. Johnny Football, his mm-hmm. Heisman year. Yeah, I mean, Baker Mayfield. Mahomes, Davis Webb, he's Case got, he's Keenum. Got yep, yep. Here in Houston, where he got his start coaching in in the college ranks, so he's got that to look at. And Pat Mahomes gave him an endorsement. He said, "Look, I think he's going to be great at the NFL level." I think the McVay comparison is is good too, Landry. They're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. If Cliff Kingsbury looked like an old, overweight, rumpled dude, there is no way he's getting a job. Now, let's face it, there is a value to looking like you're put together, looking professional, but Cliff Kingsbury is a handsome guy. He's fashionable. He's young. He looks the part of offensive genius. And I think looking the part of offensive genius is as important today in the NFL as actually being an offensive genius. I mean, Doug Peterson just won a Super Bowl. He's back in the playoffs again. And is anybody saying, I've got to find the next Doug Peterson? Or are they saying, I want to find the next Sean McVay? I think it's obvious Cliff Kingsbury is not qualified to get this job. But he gets this job because everybody's chasing the pixie dust of Sean McVay. Let's hope for the Cardinals' sake it works because they've now churned through this as being their third head coach in three years. They better get this thing right, not only because they want to stop the turnover, but because they've got a young quarterback in Josh Rosen that needs the right mentorship to get to the next level of being a franchise QB. Elsewhere in the world of coaching, we are wondering if the Pittsburgh Steelers will lose assistant coach Mike Munchak. Now, people thought that maybe the Denver Broncos might sign Munchak to be their head coach, but that's not going to happen as they sign Vic Fangio away from the Chicago Bears. So that's another opening that's now closed. But in Pittsburgh, Andrew Filipponi, as part of the PM team, asked Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com a very interesting hypothetical about a possible Steelers coaching change. Mike, if I were running the Steelers, I would promote Munchak and trade Tomlin. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, I, look... I, I, here's here's the thing, and, and this this month is the 50th anniversary of the hiring of Chuck Noll. I think that this whole we don't get rid of coaches that, that that has become such a part of the Steelers' identity that I feel like that that that's going to inure to Tomlin's benefit in any year when he otherwise would be on the hot seat mm-hmm. because they 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 want to be able to continue. You know, it's it's just like it's weird. It's become their thing. We don't fire head coaches. Yep. We don't fire head coaches because. You've been blessed with with competitive teams. Before 1969, they were going through coaches faster than than Jimmy Haslam does. But I I, I feel like that's gotten Bill Cowher the benefit of the doubt at times. It got Chuck Noll the benefit of the doubt at times. Cowher had three straight years of no playoffs at one point. Other coaches are gone with three years of no playoffs, especially with a team that has high expectations. So I that that's a wild thought if it could happen. Um, but you know, well, how do you how do you make that work? Because usually it's 
Well, my thing is, Mike, my, yeah, my, my thing is this is usually the time Tomlin with two years left on his deal gets an extension. And how do you in good faith do that? And so if you didn't, it might make him feel like he's on thin ice and he, he might feel like it's in his best interest to get a fresh start somewhere. And that would get it's it's based partly too on what's been reported about John Harbaugh. If if the Ravens can trade John Harbaugh, why can't the Steelers trade Mike Tomlin? You know, I hadn't thought of this. This is very intriguing. And we had reported last year that that uh, members of the minority ownership of the Steelers were were clamoring for change um, after the playoff loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not that Art Rooney's ever going to listen to that, but I right. thought it was significant that there were voices in the organization at an ownership level saying it's time to change coaches. But there are eight jobs currently open. And because I think of it in terms of, like with Harbaugh, it's not going to be the Ravens calling the Dolphins or the Broncos. And those are the two teams that I think would be interested in Harbaugh. It's going to be those teams initiating the yep. conversation, asking the Ravens what they would want. And you operate from a position of strength if you're the team that has the asset that would be traded. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of it from the standpoint of the coach's team initiating the conversation, calling a team like the Cardinals, calling a team like the Dolphins, and saying, hey, we know you're looking for a coach. We've got one if you'd like to. You'd have to have a high level of trust. Because if that gets out, it's over. And, Mike, I I think that part of what you said about Roethlisberger, I think Ben respects Munchak. When you hear him talk about Munchak, he talks about Munchak in glowing terms he never uses with Tomlin. So that well, that, had, that might help quotes, part of your problem. The, yeah, he had the quotes in the Post Gazette today about doing everything he can, getting people to send letters to Mr. Rooney to get Mike Munchak to stay. Right. And it's kind of naive. Like, who doesn't want to become an NFL head coach, especially of one of the signature franchises like the Broncos? They went 47 years between back-to-back losing seasons. They just won the Super Bowl three years ago. I mean, what are you going to say? Well, I'll continue to be an offensive line coach <laughs> with the Steelers instead of being the head coach of the Broncos. Just the fact that he would even think about it, it's kind of odd that he could pull it off. But maybe that's the way to pull it off. You, you ship Mike Tomlin to one of these eight franchises looking for a new coach. Not the Browns or the Bengals, though. But, right. but uh, you know, an NFC team, ideally. But, man, that would be, uh, that would be intriguing. Last one, Mike. Well, you got me thinking now. You got me thinking. Well, good. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to write a story about this at ProFootballTalk.com. People are going to lose their minds, and they're going to blame it on me. So i got to make sure when I write it that I say yeah, tri- that I'm not attribute the one who me. thought of it. Attribute yeah. me. We get attributed okay. with the Roethlisberger interview sometimes, and I take the heat for it. That's fine, Mike. I'm all right with that. It's an interesting question. Does the history of the Steelers not firing coaches hold them back? The guy cited Bill Cower three non-playoff seasons, but it ends up paying dividends because eventually Bill Cower wins a Super Bowl. And I think for Mike Tomlin, it makes sense not to blow that thing up right now because if it is just Antonio Brown and some type of disappointing culture or friction between him and Roethlisberger, if it ends up just being a conflict and a negative culture that ends up kind of wafting through and affecting the rest of the locker room, and you can avoid that by removing Antonio Brown, then there's no reason to remove the head coach as well. Mike Tomlin, I think, has had enough success to warrant the credibility of coming back. But I do think the Steelers' identity of not firing coaches can hold them back sometimes because they are now more than willing to lean on 
being conservative and not firing a guy instead of doing the proactive thing and firing a guy, although I don't believe that Mike Tomlin should be the guy that loses his job this offseason. In New York, the Giants made a change last offseason at head coach and hired Pat Shermer. This season, another disaster for the Giants. But can you fix that by drafting the right quarterback? And the New York Giants will be drafting in the top 10 this year in April. Can the number one quarterback on the board be the guy to save them? CMB, Chris, Maggie, and Bart on WFA in New York discussed. What I would do is if, uh, if I were the Giants, if I identify Haskins, who I also think is very good, and I think they'd be crazy to pass on him, go get Haskins this year. But yes, yeah, sign Tyrod Taylor as the backup. I'm telling you guys, People in Buffalo will tell you. People in Cleveland, I'm sure, will tell you. Baltimore is the same. He's the first guy into the facility. He can actually show someone how to be a quarterback in the NFL. He can't play like a quarterback in the NFL, but he can be your McCown. You can't count. You can't count on him to come in and win a game for you. But he can show you how. He can show your young guy how to be a quarterback. Listen, you can't. He'll be way less expensive. I I don't know how he's going to feel about it now. But when we talked to Eli last year, he didn't sound like a guy who was anywhere near willing to tutor somebody along. Well, that's the honest conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what Eli says to Gettleman. It's not just about what you want. It's what I'm comfortable with. And I don't know what Eli, I don't know well, where that line is. Well, why does Eli feel like he holds the cards? Well, we've he been does. over this. I mean, because he means a lot to this franchise, and they treat him that way. Yeah, but when you get because his fan base, I mean, to absolutely our, idolizes. Listen, him. but to to the point that we talked about yesterday, when we talked about how the Ravens just cold blooded handled Joe Flacco, who's going to be in their ring of honor. You know, they they they're taking care of the business of what's the best for the football team, and that's what's best for the individual. At some point, the Giants, whether how tough the situation is, whether Eli likes it or not, these are the terms. You can be here, but we're going to go get us a quarterback of the future, and we expect you to be a professional. We expect you to help tutor this guy, just like Kurt Warner did you, mm-hmm. right? You, what if Kurt Warner wouldn't wouldn't you know reveal? Yeah, but even Kurt Warner was was PO'd when he got replaced. And he's still where his teammates. Right, right. But, yeah, he was PO'd, but he still was a professional. He still did the job that was best for the team and what was what was about being a good teammate, even though he didn't want to do it. And because Kerry Collins didn't want to do it, he got cut before the end of the, before the season why they brought Warner in. Yeah, then went and played for <laughs> – went and played in the playoffs. I just wonder if Dave Gettleman's affinity for the Hog Mollies, if that's going to keep him from making a decision here. We have no track record with him as a quarter, as a general manager on what he's going to do at quarterback. I mean, we've never seen him pick a quarterback. We we don't know what he prefers. We we I mean, I'm assuming Shermer's going to have a big say. Wouldn't he also have a say? And who I mean, you brought the guy in for crying out loud to be the quarterback and offensive coordinator to be developing a quarterback, wouldn't it, you think? It depends on me what type of guy is Gettleman. Is he's a is he a guy that admits his mistakes? Like he didn't admit his mistake about Omame. He said, you don't go pay a guy and say you don't expect him to start. He wasn't a start. Yeah, he did say, though, they had to pivot in the middle of the season, and they had to. So That's an understatement. So is he that guy, or is he the guy that's going to recognize, okay, I thought Eli of the Philadelphia Eagles game was a lot better than he was, and I thought he can turn it around and not admit that it was, I was wrong, not only on Eli, but I was wrong on that on that rookie class, that quarterback class. Because how are you going to say that this year you're going to move up? Last year, all you had to do was stay in place and pick a quarterback. But this year, you're going to move up for a class that everybody thinks is worse than the one last year. And you might have to give up 
a boatload. I mean, here's the thing. You don't know what John Gruden and Mike Mayock might be thinking. You have no idea what. I mean, I know that Bruce Arians likes Jameis Winston, but Tampa Bay, you don't know if Jacksonville wants a veteran or if they might want to draft someone. You have no idea well, good thing what is, Denver might be thinking with a new head coach. Well, the good thing is free agency, I believe, is before yep. the draft. So mm-hmm. you'll know what, they, what, what they're thinking about because I think – they're gonna if they're gonna move on and say okay we're gonna go in I'm speaking about the uh, the, the Jags the, no no I'm, t- I'm speaking about the Raiders oh. um, if you'll know what they want because they'll have to make a decision on Carr maybe moving him maybe he's available maybe he's not but we'll know that we'll know if or you could thing- trade him on draft night ooh Maggie listen there's a lot of ways here okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Diabolical. Questions. Could Dwayne Haskins be a franchise guy? Would he be a franchise quarterback if Justin Herbert came out? If there was a better series of quarterbacks in this April draft? That's the problem. Does Dwayne Haskins look that much better just because there's not other qualified quarterback candidates? And if so, that's an issue. Are you overdrafting Haskins only because there's not another potential franchise-altering QB? I think that's a huge question. The other question is, can Eli be a mentor? I have no idea why he wouldn't be, and I don't know why he has the right to not be. He was mentored when he came into the league. Kurt Warner was the starting quarterback of the Giants, and Kurt Warner brought Eli along that rookie season until they changed to Eli and handed him the reins. Eli should pay that forward. Eli should pay that back. And if Eli's not willing to be a mentor for whatever reason after what he accomplished with the Giants, that's a crying shame. There's no excuse why he shouldn't be ready to be a mentor to the next guy. In the NFC East, the Cowboys are playing and the Eagles are playing while the Giants are not. And in Philadelphia, we know this story. We've covered this here and around the dial a number of times. What happens this offseason after the magic of Nick Foles? If they win another Super Bowl, I don't think there's any way you can get rid of them, but if they fall this weekend at the Superdome in New Orleans, what is the fate of Nick Foles in Philadelphia? Angelo Cataldi, as part of the morning show on WIP, asked Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, what is the future of Nick Foles if it all ends coming up after this weekend? Is it a foregone conclusion in your mind that no matter how this plays out, the Eagles will go back to Wentz and see what they can get for Foles? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it makes sense. I mean, to me, everything – and I, obviously Foles has been incredible, so I don't want to take anything away from him. But 
Um, I think people sort of forget how good Carson Wentz is. I mean, before injury, he was one of the MVPs of the league. Uh, And I think this past year, it's tough to look at his performance and see anything because he was coming back from the knee, obviously wasn't his 100% self, you know, the first month of the season. And then he had the back probably in October, so he probably was not healthy at all at any point in the season. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as soon as it's over, whenever it's over, they go back to Carson Wentz and basically see how they can maximize the value that they have in Nick Foles and try to get something for him, which I think is something that, you know, Howie Roseman has done several times with great success. All right, but you know Philadelphia as well as anybody, Ian. Um, We're Mm -hmm. kind of in love with Nick right now. (laughs) He's won all these big games. That's a a hard goodbye to say, isn't it? Yeah, but – uh, to me, and yes, I think uh, I can understand why everyone is absolutely in love with Nick Foles. I mean, he has been incredible. Uh, you know, probably the uh, probably the best backup quarterback in NFL history, certainly the most successful. And, uh, you know, everything he's done has been um, perfect for the city of Philadelphia. But, you know, to me, it's about the future. It's not about the next couple years. It's about the next 15 years. And it's hard for me to imagine a better answer to the starting quarterback question than Carson Wentz, even though when the game gets as big as it's gotten, Foles becomes a superstar. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot for Wentz to live up to, but such is life. All right, but you don't even see as an option that they just let him go, right? Not because now he has some significant trade value. You would try to get I something mean, for him, the, right? The, the reason they might let him go is if they've canvassed the market, they've talked to all the teams, and they say, we cannot get better than a fourth-round pick. Oof. You know, Because if you think about it, like Foles will probably be worth – if the Eagles do nothing else in free agency, which we know they're always active, but if they do nothing else, then they will probably get a like third-round compensatory pick for him, not this year, but next year. Mm. So the equivalent of that is a fourth-rounder this year. Third-rounder next year, fourth-rounder this year. So if they can't get a fourth-rounder for him – then they will probably just let him let him free and and take the compensatory pick. But remember, Tyrod Taylor was worth a high third rounder, and his salary was sixteen million. Foles is in the twenties; not that much different. Nick Foles is a much better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor, so hey. I would imagine they'd be able. To, they should be able to get at the least in the ballpark. Let's just say we put Wentz on the market instead. What's he worth? Probably two first round picks. Wow. Or more. Wow. I mean, Franchise quarterbacks never get never get traded for a reason, and yeah. you know I just I, I have a hard time imagining they would trade away the future of their franchise uh, for a couple draft picks when you don't know what you're getting. I mean, everyone's mission in life is to get a franchise quarterback. The Eagles just haven't had two of them. So, what's the price of Nick Foles? Is it only a fourth rounder? That would be so hard to imagine that a team would not give up more than a fourth rounder or a third rounder in 2020 for a guy that won a Super Bowl and is winning big games again, especially with the state of quarterbacking around the league. And I think that Nick Foles now has an energy that would really energize a fan base. So I think there's a lot of value to bringing in Foles, even if it's not Philadelphia. And I got to think that he commands more than a a third next year or a fourth this year. I just can't believe that he would not fetch more as a potential franchise quarterback. But if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and all you can get is a fourth rounder, then yeah, if you want to do right by Foles, 
the smart thing, or at least the kind thing to do, is to let him find his own spot, let him find his own way in free agency. But I got to think that the price is higher than a third or a fourth for Foles. It's been a bizarre season in San Diego, let's say that. Well, they've lost the Chargers, and they knew 50 years of the Chargers being an also-ran, breaking their hearts, never being the class of the NFL. Suddenly, the Chargers in L.A. have been one of the best teams in all of the league. They went 12-4 and this year, tied for the best record in all of the AFC, and yet they're a wild card. So they're playing on the road yet again this weekend in Foxborough. What happens next year to the L.A. Chargers? Well, One year, again, that they'll wait in a soccer stadium until the big one for the Rams is built and they'll share it. In San Diego, what happens if the Chargers win a Super Bowl? Can they still claim the Chargers as their team just a couple of years removed from moving out? And what happens to the Raiders? Because Oakland is leaving after this upcoming season to go to Las Vegas. But for 2019, we still don't know. Because we know in Oakland, they're upset that the Raiders are moving. And the Raiders are upset that there's a lawsuit against them. And it looks like that maybe they won't play in the Oakland Coliseum for one final year by the Bay. Could they possibly follow the empty void of the Chargers moving and play in San Diego? Well, Dan Cilio from 97.3 The Fan in San Diego posed that question and said he's got a little bit of insight into this. I got this email last night. Everybody in the room has it now. Even sent one to my program director. I wanted to let you know off the record here. Now, again, I'm not going to say his name. He's an attorney here in town. I wouldn't even tell you the school he went to because I think if you find out the school he went to, I think you'd know who it was. That I learned tonight, this was last night, that there have been discussions between the Raiders playing next season in San Diego with both the mayor's office and management of the Raiders. So over the last two days, there have been some conversations with City Hall and Raider management on the team playing here next year. Well, those involved in the discussions believe that the NFL would not want the Chargers to play and have the the Raiders play in San Diego next season, a solution to that issue would be to play the game in London or Mexico City. So again, instead of having the Chargers play here in San Diego if the Raiders played here, they would either play that game and have the makeup game of the Mexico City game between the Chargers and Raiders in Mexico City or London. Make sense? I'll tell you this. The NFL wants any excuse to play games in London. Any excuse. So they will clearly, happily, send the Chargers if they've got to play the Raiders in San Diego for that Raiders quote-unquote home game, hypothetically, in San Diego. They would obviously send them to London or Mexico City and love it because they're just dying to send NFL games to international cities. I find this to be a tough sell, but it's certainly possible. It's a tough sell only because what the NFL would be doing is saying – Sorry we ripped your football team away, but how's a one-year rental on a totally different team that you've hated for 50 years? I mean, it's not like the Raiders don't elicit a lot of bad feelings as a rival in San Diego. The Chargers and Raiders were division rivals for years, for decades. And now you're going to say, and now will you please support the Raiders? Just for a year, though, before we move them on and rip away your team yet again, because this is not really your team. And We just want to remind you that this is not ownership of a team. Of course, you're just going to do us a favor. I find that to be a tough sell for the NFL. Would they go down that road, though? Look, I wouldn't put anything past the NFL. And finally, everybody in the state of South Carolina and Clemson fans nationally 
still talking about that national championship game. A beatdown Monday night of the Alabama Crimson Tide. The guys on ESPN Upstate in South Carolina asking the question, is it possible that we don't have one dynasty, either Bama or Clemson? Is it possible we can have both two dynasties? You look at Alabama, you look at Clemson, exact same records for the last four years, same number of national titles. I mean, it looks like, yeah, there are two dynasties. And that's what I said. I, I think this is a unique sport in that you can actually have two different dynasties. Because let's face it, if Alabama, I, I feel like Alabama and Clemson are probably going to play for the national title again at least once in the mm-hmm. next couple of years. Uh, given the last couple of years, I don't think that's a reach at all. So, I, and I think you know, if they meet up a couple times in the playoffs, they're probably going to split the results because they're both kind of on a level playing field right now. I think that that's more certain now than ever before. So. Uh, if you're splitting those games in the big moments in the playoff or for the championship uh, and you're still you know, each winning something, I, I think that you can have two different dynasties on going at the same time. Alabama's been doing it for a while now. Mm-hmm. I think we can easily throw Clemson into that conversation right now with two out of the last three. So, yeah, I mean, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> this team is going to be really good for uh, how, I don't know how many years, and Alabama's going to be right back in the thick of things again next year. So, uh, two different dynasties, I'm all for it. I think we can have it. Kevin, let me ask you this. When all said and done, I mean, taking the college football playoffs out of it, what's a lasting memory of bowl season? Because I kind of came down to it. Everybody wants more in expanded playoffs, but in a one-year snapshot, it, this bowl season, this postseason may have been the uh, reason to only have two instead of four teams. Now, granted, it's going to change year to year, but that was one of my takeaways from the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I don't know if I've said this to you or not before, but I've always been in favor of playoff expansion. I think uh, I think an 18 playoff is what I've always been mm-hmm. endorsing. I'm not going to look at what has happened this year, though, and suggest that it helps my argument for it. Yeah. <laughs> because it no, does. it's a one-year <laughs> snapshot. It, it, yeah, just based on this year, I'm not going to overreact to anything. But you know, we, we did have another year where the semifinals in the 14 playoff were not particularly interesting. And we've had uh, a lot of lopsided results in the semifinal rounds uh, more often than not. Uh, in the course of this five-year history of the college football playoff. The championship games have more so delivered. Obviously, last night was a little bit of an exception, but uh, I, I feel like the, the championship games have made up for uh, a lot of it the last couple of years, for sure. The last three years, really, <laughs> that have been uh, instant classics. Maybe not so much last night, but again, I think you make up for it uh, overall. But I think, um, you know, I, I think from what we've seen this year, I, I think the, the takeaway was, we had a lot of bad matchups in the bowl season, which has led to a lot of lopsided results. And I was hoping that that wouldn't continue in the playoff, and it did. All three yep. games, they were they were just completely lopsided results. I think the closest thing we have in history to dueling dynasties is the Steelers and the Cowboys of the 1970s, because the Steelers won four Super Bowls and the Cowboys won two, but the Cowboys also went to three others and won the division and had their own decade of dominance. The difference is the Steelers won both of those Super Bowl matchups against the Cowboys. So nobody could call the Cowboys the team of the 70s if the Steelers beat them twice and had two more rings than them. But think about it. If the Cowboys had won just one of those, if they won in 1975, or when they rematch in 1978, that would mean both would have three rings in the decade and be one and one against each other. In that case, you'd have to say they were dueling dynasties. So 
I think it can be. We haven't really had that. We always think of the dynasty as the singular entity. And we can't call Clemson a dynasty yet. We just can't. They're not there yet. But if they continue to do this for the next three, four, five years, then absolutely. We have dueling superior super team programs, but I don't think we have dueling dynasties in college football. That's the best of your sports radio for Wednesday, January the 9th. I'm DA, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.